Welcome to our 2021 series, Talking Heads, the podcast of the University of Melbourne's Department of Nursing. In this series, we celebrate 25 years of nursing at Melbourne, hearing from each head of nursing over the last quarter century, starting with the inaugural head, now Emeritus Professor Judith Parker, OAM. Judy Parker is a world-renowned leader in nursing tertiary education. Not only was she head of nursing at Lincoln Institute of Health Sciences, she was the foundational professor of the School of Nursing at La Trobe University, and then again the foundational professor of the School of Postgraduate Nursing at the University of Melbourne. Judy has been at the helm of nursing research, including a decade as editor-in-chief of the journal Nursing Inquiry. Professor Parker has been recognised for her pioneering contributions to nursing, with an honorary professor for the University of Hong Kong, an honorary doctorate of medicine at the University of Melbourne, and a citation on the Victorian Honour Roll for Women, along with an Order of Australia. In this, the first of two podcasts with Professor Parker, we hear about Patricia Slater, the true visionary, the division in nursing education between UK and US models, the nurses' strike of 1987, and the subsequent government inquiry, the threatened decentralisation of nursing education, the need for clinical nursing research, and the first days and weeks of University of Melbourne, including snaffling staff and commitment to research. We start the podcast with Professor Judy Parker responding to this question. How did your beginnings at Lincoln Institute end up with you establishing the first school of nursing at Melbourne University 25 years ago? What was happening to make that happen? Oh, that is a very interesting question. I was appointed there straight after finishing my PhD as a lecturer. Pat Slater, the head of school, was fantastic. She was somebody who was a visionary, a true, true visionary. But at that time, there was a division uh, in Australia about nursing education are we more British or are we more American? Now, Pat Slater had spent time in America and she was much more impressed with the American form of nursing education. The British one, which they still were not in universities, she thought was still very hierarchical, old-fashioned, driven by rigidity and rules and regulations and protocols, whereas America was research-based, concerned with critical thinking about what nursing is, all of those things, which in Pat Slater's view, Britain wasn't. So she appointed me as a lecturer, and my area was gerontology, and then In a couple of years, I was a senior lecturer. Five years after I was appointed there, Pat Slater had to retire because 65 was the retirement age and she had no choice. She had to retire. And I was appointed head of school. I have to say, I always felt really bad about that, about the retirement age. If she could only have had another three years... Because when I was appointed there in 
84, 85, the transfer of nursing education was happening across the country. There were five pilot projects in the country. And June Buckingham and I was seen as one of the senior ones to advise all these new schools setting up. And that should have been Pat's glory. It should have been the final part of her career, travelling around the country, drawing on her vast experience, her knowledge, and she still had so much to offer. It was criminal. Really, it was. Um, But I was surprised to be appointed as head. I was encouraged to apply. Um, But the person I thought would be appointed was someone that was more out of that British model. And I think Pat Slater might have had an influence on the selection committee. I don't know. But anyway, I did get appointed when I knew nothing and had no background in the area, but she saw she saw something anyway. Whereas I was suffering severely from imposter syndrome following her. Lincoln Institute amalgamated with La Trobe University and that the physios thought was terrible. Physio at La Trobe, there was a deep schism in professional physio. Physio had always seen itself as belonging to the University of Melbourne. They did their physiology and pathophysiology with medical students. They did a lot of stuff with medical students and they did their course in Lincoln Institute, uh, which was close to Melbourne Uni anyway. But of course, there was just this dreadful feeling because of what physio had done. You know, half of them had got up the physio school at Melbourne, which the Vice Chancellor David Pennington at the time obviously supported. He'd been coming to me for quite a number of years, wanting me to take all our postgraduate courses and move to the University of Melbourne. And I thought, I can't. I'm loyal to La Trobe. After the nurses' strike of 1987, the directors of nursing had gone to government and said, you've got to do something. Half of our nurses were on strike and half weren't. And what do we do with this group we've got? So they set up a committee of inquiry, chaired by Faye Miles, and I was on the committee of inquiry. We were to investigate professional issues in nursing and write a report on it and report back to government within a time frame. And... We had to see what was really getting on nurse's goat. I knew Faye Miles then, and she then was on the council of the University of Melbourne and later became chancellor, actually. But she approached me and said, would you come to Melbourne? We're advertising ahead of nursing at Melbourne. And I said, Faye, I can't. I'm loyal to La Trobe. And um, Di Campbell, the director of nursing, came to me and said, 
would you be would you come and be head of school of nursing? And I said, I can't, I'm loyal to Latrobe. Then a couple of things happened to Latrobe. Uh, the decision was made to move Latrobe to the main campus at Bandura. And that meant there wouldn't be a nursing school. This was before ACU had their campus in the city virtually. There wouldn't be a school of nursing in the inner city. And I thought that was terrible. Not only did I think that was terrible, RMIT was three kilometres down the road. And I thought, fancy having the two oldest, most prestigious schools of nursing who'd produced all the academic work that had been done prior to that came out of Philip and came out of um, Lincoln. And you're going to put them way out in the burbs, three kilometres from each other. I don't see how they can both succeed. So there were those two issues that, it was out of my control. I couldn't do anything about it. And, I mean, I could understand Latrobe wanting to consolidate on one campus. That also made sense. But I was thinking about nursing and I knew this was not a good move. But then there was another thing that happened and that was that we put in a tender to do some postgraduate nursing courses in Singapore, and we had all the experience, all the background, we had all the stuff we'd done in Hong Kong, we had all of this. And Sydney put in a tender, and they were new, they had no background, no experience, guess who got the tender? Sydney. Why? Because of the prestige of the university. And I don't know if that says something about me, but I thought, if I'm going to have the best, I need the best behind me. So I then approached Di Campbell and said, do you still want a head of nursing? She said, what, what, what? <laughs> so before I knew it, that had happened. I took up the appointment in August 96. As I thought about whether I would go, a lot of the research was a bit of navel-gazing by nurses. A lot of the research was about nursing, uh, what is nursing, all those basic sort of philosophical questions, uh, which I'd been involved in too, but I thought all of these questions are important. They're fundamental, but they're radical. They're at the roots. They're the roots Nursing is a clinical discipline. We need clinical research. And really nobody in the universities where nursing was was really doing, shall we say, hardcore clinical nursing research. So I thought if I'm starting a school at Melbourne, I'm going to start with a focus on clinical research. And so that was, and that's what will differentiate Melbourne in that that will be the focus of the School of Nursing. It will be in the heart of where all the clinical facilities are and it will be supported by medicine because initially 
nursing and I was part of this too, felt we've got to show our own disciplinary strength separate from medicine. But then by 1996, I thought, well, we've done that. Now we are fully fledged equal to medicine. So now we can come in to the top medical school, probably in the country, and take our place. We were set up as a school of postgraduate nursing, located in two little houses that were beautifully done up. We loved it there. Next door to the Bowling Green, which is now the car park underneath. As I was listening, I had this image of Judy turning up to work day one in those cottages and wondered, what did she do? How did she go about getting her staff and putting this new department together? Yes, I went there on day one and we could have two admin staff. So we had Carol Mays who came as a project officer and a secretary. Marie, can't remember her surname, and there were the three of us. That was us. I had some money that came from the training and development grant. That was what enabled the whole thing to happen. Once that came into being, the directors of nursing actually had control over really quite vast budgets from the training and development grant because it was designed for ongoing education for doctors, nurses and others. And what Diane wanted to do with it was give it to the University of Melbourne to run our courses. That's what the children's wanted to do and mental health too. And, of course, that didn't last forever, the training and development grant, but it got us on our feet. So we had the postgraduate paediatric programs at the Children's Hospital. We had acute care programs at the Royal Melbourne and they were basically the hospital-based programs now cleaned up and called diplomas still to be run through the university. Oh, and the other thing was mental health nursing. That had been at Royal Park and Di Crowther had been the director of nursing there and she wanted psychiatric mental health nursing to go to university. She saw the era of hospital-based psych nursing was over. So she was keen to be part of this. And there were already a couple of psychiatric nursing research centres that were set up linked to the University of Melbourne. Anyway, so she was keen to come on board. So basically... If you go to prizes day now, you will see there's always the three awards for the Directors of Nursing of the Royal Melbourne, the Royal Children's and Psychiatric Mental Health Nursing. That was one of the first things I did to set up those awards. The next thing Professor Parker did was attract three outstanding nursing researchers and scholars, Siobhan Nelson, Sancho Aranda and Linda Johnson, which she achieved with minimum funds and maximum wiliness. Siobhan joined the staff through success in a highly competitive proposal application. Judy describes being in that very proposal committee meeting. I mean, I was sitting in while the executive was making this decision and 
They were saying, oh, a very good application from nursing, a very nice, very well-written application from nursing, but really. And it sort of went round the table and everyone saying, very good, very nice, but really. And then Gordon Clooney is a wonderful man, a great doctor and a visionary. And he said, look, I don't know, have a look at this. Um, I think it's a very good application and we've now got a school of postgraduate nursing. One person sitting on the medical faculty said, well, I sit on the executive of the Faculty of Arts and this is as good as anything that would come in on the Faculty of Arts. And then, because she was doing it on history, actually history of nuns in nursing of all things, which isn't exactly the clinical focus of the medical faculty. Anyway, in the end, they gave her one of them. And I remember the admin person, Joan, her name was, when the meeting was over, she and I just jumped up and we hugged each other and we jumped up and down and we said, yeah, yeah, yeah. So then I got Siobhan at no cost to me for a three-year postdoc where she could do her research and take some leadership with the research in the school. Sancha had been at La Trobe and... She decided to apply for a position linked to St Vincent's Hospital, which was an associate professor, I think, cancer and palliative care. It was set up at St Vincent's. I think the centre still runs. Anyway, she got that job and I said, Sancha, we've got to work together. Can I appoint you at least point two or something or an honorary appointment? I can't remember what I did but we need a cancer nursing course. So then I had Sancha, although not full-time. There was a vacancy in paediatric nursing and there was an unexpected application from Sydney from a nurse with a PhD uh, who was a paediatric neonatal intensive care nurse, Linda Johnson. And she applied for the job and I was on the selection committee, but the people on the committee said, no, she's no good for the job. She hasn't got recent clinical experience. And it was true, you needed someone with recent clinical experience because the nurses are at the children's hospital doing their graduate year they or what not graduate year their postgraduate course they needed someone who had recent experience and I said okay I accept that and then I rang Linda and I can remember walking backwards and forwards here with my phone in my hand I'll never forget this conversation I said Linda Good news, bad news. Bad news, you didn't get the job. Good news, I'm trying to scramble together some money and a position description. Will you hold out? I want someone who's got a background in paediatric intensive care, who's got a PhD, who can set up research in the area of 
pediatric nursing and care. Will you wait? She said, yes, Judy. And then I had Ventura Randa, Linda Johnson and Siobhan Nelson. They were absolutely my three stars and they worked together well. They were wonderful. And we had quite a big staff employed through the training and development grant. But the people working on them were the people that the university now employed that had been employed in the hospital as educators and they were phenomenal. They put in all the work to help these programs to get upgraded. But we relied on the training and development grant and I knew that each course was only as viable as the amount of money we received. And some of them were clearly not viable. So we shared all this and I shared it with the lecturers and said, look, I hate to say this, but your jobs are going to depend upon you getting more students. And they were brilliant. They were brilliant. And we did get more students in some key areas. We had... So, well, of course, there was ICU. We had a renal nursing course. So we had quite a big active staff. We started working on applying for grants. And I appointed a retired professor of psychology, Ray Over, from La Trobe University, to come in to try and help write research grants and things. So he was there for a while. We put in so many applications and I'd always remembered Stephen Duckett used to get so many grants and people said to him, how come you get so many grants? He said, well, only 10% are successful. I put in a lot and I always hung on to that. And I thought, right, so we applied for everything we could. One of those applications was for a government tender to establish a centre for psychiatric nursing. There had been two centres for psychiatric nursing research which had been located at two of the major psychiatric hospitals which of course were deinstitutionalised and the department put out a tender for setting up a centre for psychiatric nursing research but education specifically and we had on staff Brenda Hapel and Brenda worked tirelessly on writing this. I did a few little bits to help but she did it and then we went through the nail-biting experience of would we win it or wouldn't we and we did. But it was all down to Brenda, really. And she headed up the Centre for Psychiatric Nursing. Because it was funded by government, they were wanting it to be a place for continuing education for mental health nurses. But what Brenda also set up, which continues today, was the notion of consumer involvement, consumer academic. She was the first person to appoint a consumer academic, Kath Roper, who you no doubt know. I mean, a lot of evaluations were done. It was mainly evaluation research, really. 
but it's gone along all these years, yeah. So we've got grants, we've got research up, we've got ARC grants, we've got NH and MRC grants. It was such a vibrant air. Oh, and we attracted PhD students, of course, and masters by research students. And we set up another master's program. So we were massively busy. And that particular group of PhD students, they were sort of like the first lot of There were about 10 or 15 of them and they were all housed in the school. So there was this lovely, vibrant air. Anyway, the dean then expressed amazement that we'd got all these grants, all of these PhD students, all of this wonderful research. I think he'd envisaged we were going to continue to be a hospital-based nursing program in a university. Really, that's all we would be. So after we did all this, he was fantastic with me. I would go to him with an idea and he'd say, sure, whatever I wanted, he would facilitate. In the next Talking Heads podcast, Professor Parker reveals some of these things she wanted, including Univistas 21. Judy also talks about her early career, decision to become a nurse, her PhD, and curiosity for learning, her work globally, especially with Hong Kong, her passion and enthusiasm for promoting nursing, along with some sage advice for recent graduates and those considering a career in nursing. We thank Professor Parker for her insights into 25 years of nursing at the University of Melbourne. Until next time... (laughs) 